A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week, we're chatting to Jeff Lindsay. His eight Dexter Morgan novels have made him a hugely successful author. Uh, they became the TV show Dexter with uh, Michael C. Hall, the friendly neighbourhood serial killer. Uh, and he's back with a new Riley Wolf thriller. Uh, we talk about how he gets into the mind of a master thief. Also, uh, what starting a new series was like after the success of Dexter. And you can hear how much he thinks about plotting and planning everything out beforehand. The plotting in these Riley Wolf books is very complex and intricate. And it's three or four stories working together. So you can't just go, woohoo, and take off, you know. Wouldn't it be fun? Yeah, a helicopter, okay. Um, you know, it has to be all in service to the the general plot. So there is more on the way with Jeff Lindsay in this week's Writer's Routine. Stick around. Yes. Welcome along. It's Writer's Routine. My name's Dan Simpson. Uh, Thank you for finding us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming back. Um, It's the show where we have a look inside the working day of some of the most successful authors around. And this week's episode of the show is supported by Promptly Written Volume 2. It's the new book by the Promptly Written Podcast. Every month, Ian Lewis and Matt Shigerich write a short story based on a writing prompt that the listeners give them. I mean, what an idea as a writer to make a podcast, to create something that the audience suggests. Uh, it just keeps churning out this creativity and it could be about anything. And, you, and you've got a month to work on it. It's such a brilliant idea. And it's spawned a second book from the series, Promptly Written Volume 2. It's a collection of the stories written during the second year of the show. Now, there is no genre that they haven't really covered. Uh, speculative fiction that's in their slice of life, mystery, sci-fi, horror, allegory, uh, and the magic that has happened because of this uh, in the stories that they write every month based on suggestions. They kind of both go off in, in, in different ways with their different ideas sparking something new. Um, but they kind of created this universe. So while the stories are in individual, uh, quite a lot of them share themes and places and characters when they can. Now, the authors, Matt and Ian, who make the podcast and write the stories, they've been friends for over 20 years, but they approach stories and writing from completely different places, which is incredible, isn't it? Two minds that enjoy each other's company so much can view work and creativity so differently. There's about 24 stories in the second volume of the promptly written book. Everyone has been written by an idea suggested uh, to the promptly written podcast by a listener. 
Now, you can get a link to the book in the episode notes wherever you're listening to this. It's available on Amazon as well, and it's free if you've got one of those Kindle Unlimited subscriptions. I'll also stick a link to the podcast in the episode notes as well, uh, so you can listen to the discussions of their ideas for the stories, um, where they go from the prompts uh, and where that takes them and how they come together with different stories in every episode. Like, I can't go on about it enough. The idea for the podcast is fantastic, and the stories that come out of them every month are just as good as well. And you can read them all now in Promptly Written Volume 2, the book of the podcast. It's out on Amazon right now. The link for the book is in the podcast notes wherever you're listening, and you can grab a copy at writersroutine.com. Now, this week on the show, uh, our guest is the novelist and playwright Jeff Lindsay. His new book is Fool Me Twice. It's a Riley Wolf thriller about a master thief that targets the wealthiest. Uh, And this time he's wrapped up in the art world. Now we talk about getting the idea for the story, planning it out in complex, meticulous detail uh, and researching the art world thoroughly. Uh, Also, Jeff is very into his signs and totems and talismans, energy and flow. And we chat about that and how it affects his confidence and creativity. Uh, Also, you can hear about his idea of luck. And we talk about why he likes to wake up early to try and trick his unconscious mind, but why that isn't really possible at the moment. Uh, Also, there's a bit in there about the impact his Dexter Morgan books had on the rest of his writing, which is extremely interesting to hear, I think. Uh, Now, Jeff mentions something called TM in his writing routine. Uh, It's Transcendental Meditation, just so you know. Uh, And we start, as we always do, with what Jeff sees around him in the place where he sits down to write. I'm facing a wall right now, and on the wall I've got family pictures. Um, My three daughters in a sort of photo essay that my wife did, and a couple more pictures of them. Um, A beautiful picture of my wife sitting on a rock in the Caribbean with our sailboat in the bay below. Um, a hex sign that was custom made for me to inspire creativity and confidence. Um, A couple of paintings I'm fond of, a picture of my favorite dog, and uh, a picture of one of my great uncles um, in his German army general's uniform. Uh, how's that for a start? <laughs> it's it's beautiful. Tell me about this this the, the the heck portrait. Did you say that you had commissioned the heck sign? Yeah, um, Hillary, my wife Hillary. Um, we got fascinated with signs and their power and importance and significance and the whole Jungian thing. And um, that was back when we did uh, a couple of sci-fi books together. Um, and so she she kept at it. She's a, a fairly talented artist, too. So she put together a, a sort of custom-designed hex sign um, that has symbols in it that represent those things I mentioned before. So this is, it's all about inspiration. It's all, it's all about kind of confidence and creativity. How does that work with you, Jeff? Like, if you're a particularly low ebb maybe you're finding it hard to write that day when yeah, you, how when, did you know <laughs> when you look at this sign wh- what does it do for you well mostly it reminds me of the main reason i do what i do every day um which is to do it to do my job so that um you know where the rest of my family is free to be and do what they 
what they can and, and want. Um, it, you know, it's, it's going to work every day, and sometimes that wears down on you. Uh, especially with something like writing is not a job so much as a vocation, because you can't turn it off, um, or at least I can't. You know, I go on vacation and go, that's it. I'm not thinking about writing for two weeks. And the second day, I'm making notes on cocktail napkins. So um, to me, it's always been a big difference between job and vocation, as I said. And um, that's I, I need all the inspiration I can get, especially right now. There's just so much to worry about that it, it's really hard to concentrate right now. I, we, we're going to get to how you like kind of turn the tap on and off of this vocation in just a second let me just keep you plonk you in your room once more um bring me closer to the desk i always imagine you know you you're you're locked away over in the countryside over in the states it's barren it's remote i always imagine authors like you you must have quite the desk um can you talk me through that what's on your desk <laughs> well continuing the trend from the uh, hex sign there's a couple of lumps of lucky rock <laughs> crystal mostly designed to increase the flow of creativity. Then there's a number of totems. Um, my father wrote a monograph on an American artist, James Earl Fraser, who's best known for the Buffalo nickel and the end of the trail, which you may have seen the, the native American on a horse and they're both sort of slumped over and his lance is pointing to the ground. So, I have a small replica of that in memory of my father. I have um, a, a bronze penguin that my or pelican that my mother gave me, uh, which has family significance. I won't go into it's just an old joke. And then I have what was my totem for a while, uh, which is the penguin. And looking around my office, there are several other penguins here and there. Uh, and then it's just, you know, uh, stuff to do music, a pile of cough drops, a clock, and stacks and stacks of papers and CDs. Let me ask you about the totems and the Lucky Rock very quickly. Okay. Uh, it, it's okay. <laughs> you do kind of what I do, which is dip into uh, someone else's accent. I can't help myself. Um, <laughs> listen, and, and I ask this with no no judgment at all. I'm just curious. Mm -hmm. Here um, it comes. Do you be, do you know? Do you believe like a, like a lucky rock is lucky? Like, is it doing anything to your your energy or your flow, or is it just something much like the sign that reminds you why you're sat there? Well, definitely the latter. Uh, as to whether it's actually functional, I've had so many people tell me, uh, you know, how important it is and how it works that I'm not going to say it nay. Um, one of my best friends in the world. He's an Aussie bastard. Um, he's an actor. He's best known for being Napoleon in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah, Terry Camilleri. And he's very much into shamanism in general and crystals specifically. And um, so he's he's got me half convinced that it actually works. I'm not prepared to say myself. Um, I, I think, you know, I... I I feel so frustrated and so blocked so many times that, I don't know, maybe it's worn out. <laughs> maybe I need a new one or to clean it or something. But it doesn't always seem to work. 
Well, let me ask you this, Jeff. If I were to walk into your writing room when you are in the middle, <laughs> if I find you, it, it, when you're in the middle of, um, you know, getting to work, when you're in the middle of writing a novel, would I have any clues to the story that you're telling? I mean, uh, is there a brainstorm on a whiteboard? Is there post-it notes strewn all over the place? No, um, I've always wanted to to do that, but I'm I'm just not organized enough. Um, it's all pretty much on paper. I would love to have some sort of app or tool or something that makes it easier to to plot out a, a story. But as it is now, I just have to do it, you know, one, two, three on the paper. And that's what I work from. Now, this show can get quite niche. Um, give me a font opinions, Jeff. Do you have any? Do you do you have a, do you have a prefer, preferential way that you write on, on the screen? I was speaking to someone the other day and they like to mix it up just when they find they kind of need a jolting, they'll switch font and it kind of gives them a new angle on it. Uh, have you any font opinions? Um, I work with Arial. Um, I don't know why. Um, and it's just my standard font. It's my default. Generally speaking, uh, you, you know, I used to get up like at 3 a.m. and write and get it out of the way because I found that um, my unconscious mind is not as critical and it's much easier to spew it out without thinking about it and then edit later. But nowadays, there's just, uh, boy, I just have so much to do. You know, there's taking someone, taking a child to school or running to the gym uh, or whatever so that I start later. So obviously, as I said, that routine has changed now. I haven't been to a gym in nine months and I'm showing it horribly. And um, school is virtual, uh, but I follow the same basic routine. I get up, um, I do TM, have breakfast, coffee, check the headlines in the papers, and then come up and work. Or not work, but <laughs> try to work. And what's, what time will you generally start? Uh, generally, I'm at my desk no later than 10 a.m. And I generally leave around 2.30. So that's four and a half, hopefully, hopeful hours of writing. <clears throat> uh, how do they look? Is it? Are you able to sit there at 10 and you can just blast out the words to 2.30? Is your energy coming and going at times? Just try and take me through that if you can. Well, at the moment, it's mostly going. <laughs> um, as I said, it's hard to concentrate right now. So normally I can sit down and jump right into it, but this isn't normally. Uh, so um, there's a lot of fidgeting and doing other things. Um, I suppose in the old days I would be alphabetizing books and records. But instead, I, I sit here and sometimes I'll pick up a guitar or my flute. And sometimes I'll, um, I'll play a stupid game on the computer and just, you know, wait until I can, I can concentrate. I found also a lot, if I'm doing some other task, then an idea will come to me when I'm not thinking about it. Uh, and again, that's, that's nowadays. Uh, before all of this started, I could sit down and just let her rip. But, um, it's really difficult times. So nowadays, what is a, is a good writing day for you, Jeff? If I get five pages nowadays, I'm pretty happy. 
do you know when when you're so at two thirty? How do you know when you're done for the day? Uh, usually, I sort of come out of the trance, or you know, either because I'm tired or I'm hungry or something like that, and I look at the clock and go, "Oh, it's two thirty. I'm done." Um, that's on good days. On bad days, I finish before that and sit here and hate myself for an extra half hour because I'm not doing it. Well, on that, though, I mean, you're a successful, kind of prolific novelist now. Um, You know, you've had very successful shows written about your ideas. Why do you think you still feel that guilt in on days when maybe you haven't worked as well as you had hoped? Uh, Two reasons. One is because I, I, um, I, it's why I'm here. It's what I'm supposed to do. And if I'm not doing it, I I wasted the oxygen. And, uh, the other reason is that I always feel I could be doing more. Um, when I was really rolling a couple of years ago, I was doing 25, 30 pages a day on two or three different projects at the same time. And, now, like I say, five pages is a good day. So, you know, that sucks. That feels like I'm not being who I'm supposed to be. I'm not living up to my responsibility. You know, vocation, the, the root word is voice, meaning you've heard the voice. Um, it's calling you. Many are called, but few can actually write the damn thing. And it's it, when you hear that call and it becomes the voice you follow, if you're not doing it, it's, you know, it's not just, damn it, I didn't do my job. It's it's like I failed in my religious duty, too. It's it's very complicated and very painful, at least for me. Do you attribute the fact that you can't hear that voice down to the utter nightmare that 2020 has been? At the moment, yes. Um, part of the problem is with the new character, too, Riley Wolf. It's... It's a lot more complicated to write than Dexter was. Uh, the plot in particular is, is a very difficult. And um, th- that's something that's always been tough, tougher for me, at least, than the other stuff, the plot. So um, I think once I had, at least on the first two Riley Wolf books, once I had the plot hammered out and it was neat and intricate and it all worked, then the writing is easier. But um, before that happens, it's it's like, you know, being your own dentist, drilling in your own teeth and pulling them and all of that. It, it hurts. It's hard. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. 
If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We're back with more from Jeff Lindsay in just a sec. Uh, This episode of Writer's Routine is sponsored by Promptly Written Volume 2, the book of short stories featured in the Promptly Written podcast by Ian Lewis and Matt Shigerik. In every episode, they write a story based on a prompt given by a listener, and they've just released a new book filled with the stories that they worked on. You can grab a copy using the link in the podcast notes wherever you're listening and over at writersroutine.com. They supported the show on Patreon. If you would like your book to sponsor a future episode of the show, that's what you need to do too. Get to patreon.com and pledge to help us out for a month. You can get loads for doing that. You get our thanks, you get little bits of merch, you get the big sponsorship too. Uh, It doesn't need to be loads, just a little bit every month. It really means the world. It helps us carry on doing this regularly. It helps us continue to bring you episodes with as many of the best writers as we can. Now, um, here in the UK, we found ourselves in lockdown 3.0. I'm having a little bit of trouble getting to the post office. So just bear with us. If you're waiting um, for, for bits of merch um, all around the world, doesn't matter where you are, you will get them. Um, just bear with me. It's taken me a while to send them out. If you want to be on the list of people who are getting merch, uh, help us out. Whatever you pledge really goes a long way. Uh, I promise just the cost of a pint that you can't go out really and buy. Um, send it our way. If you've learned anything over the last 130 episodes, which has helped your writing, you can support the show over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Right, let's get back to it then with Jeff Lindsay talking about his new Riley Wolf thriller, Fool Me Twice. In this half, we chat about how detailed his plots and his beat points are. Uh, Also, about the new way of thinking that he's been developing for Riley uh, and how much thought he gives to the body count in a thriller. That's a pretty fun answer, actually. Uh, And we pick things up talking about starting a new series and whether after the success of Dexter, um, his Dexter Morgan books became a massive TV show, whether after that, he found starting fresh difficult at all. Well, at first it was easy. I came up with three or four brand new things and um, nobody really wanted to run with them. Um, They didn't click, I guess. So I kept plugging until I came up with this one. Um, it It wasn't hard walking away from Dexter. It was a little bit like, you know, ending a love affair. But, um, you know, it was doable. But uh, coming on to the new one and and clicking into it was a a long and difficult process. It seems to me like all I've done is talk about how hard my life is. And um, it's really, I have, you know, a wonderful life. It's just 
I'm a miserable neurotic bastard and I, I don't appreciate well, it. Well, that's all right. I, I, I don't suppose you're really meant to at this, this, this year more than ever, I would say. Um, listen, let me just very quickly take you back to the day. 10 a.m. when you sit down there, uh, how do you know what you're planning to write that day? Well, again, Riley Wolf is different. Uh, you know, I have three or four different plot lines going, and I know where they're all going. So if I sit down and I, you know, the scene in the diner isn't happening, I can skip ahead and go to Bangladesh and write that scene instead with a different character, or if it's just a different setting, that'll that's fine too. Um, and it does help shake me out of it sometimes, and then I can go back to the scene in the diner later. With that then, how much of an overall picture of the story do you have even before you type that very first sentence on page one? Fairly complete, because as I said, the the plotting in these Riley Wolf books is very complex and intricate, and it's three or four stories working together. So you can't just go, woohoo, and take off, you know. Wouldn't it be fun? Yeah, helicopter, okay. Um, You know, it has to be all in service to the the general plot because as i said you know if if riley just suddenly it feels right for him to go to sydney australia and the other characters are waiting for him in bangladesh it's a bit of a problem what form does that plotting and planning take then jeff i know you said you don't have a a whiteboard a post-it notes it's all done on the on the on the the screen um How does it look like if i found your grand master plan and obviously you don't shoot me um what what would it look like? I start out just trying to do simple plot points, you know, like number one, he decides to steal the jewel. Number two, um, he cases the museum. And what happens is that the, you know, the writing neurosis takes over so that by point three, I'm writing full scenes and I have to cut back again <laughs> and remind myself just the facts, ma'am. Um, and keep it down to this happens, then that happens. And trust that the the full fleshed out scene comes later, which so far it has. Well, you can't do any of that without an initial idea. So so tell me about that then, will you, Jeff? So it's the new Riley Wolf thriller. Uh, it's um, Fool Me Twice. Tell me about, out now, tell me about the very first moment that the idea for this story came into your head. Um, well, it was just sort of ruminating, if you will. I think I said earlier that coming up with something more impossible than the previous impossible was, you know, always a challenge. Um, So I I started thinking what could be more impossible than what he just did in Just Watch Me. And I thought of stealing an immovable object. In in Just Watch Me, I have him stealing a a 12-ton statue just for openers. but if something is truly immovable, you know, that you can't just hoist it up with a helicopter or a winch, how do you go about that? And um, eventually I came up with the idea that is in the book, which is to steal a fresco. And um, if you know your art history, I'm, I'm sure we all do, uh, a fresco is painted onto a wall as the plaster of the wall is drying. It sets into the drying plaster and it is literally part of the wall. Um, You can't peel it off or cut it out of the frame or anything. It's the wall. 
So if you're going to steal a fresco, you're stealing the wall. And then I put that wall in the most secure location I could think of, which coincidentally is where a lot of the really good frescoes are, which is the Vatican. And, you know, you just, you raise the stakes, you make it more difficult each time. You have to have a plot with that, though, Jeff. So if the grand idea for this story is Riley is going to steal the hardest thing that he could possibly steal, something that's built into the wall of the Vatican. Right. uh, That's, you know, that's the end goal. You need to fill out all the middle. You need to come up with a plot to this. I know that you've taken us through kind of how you do that with point one, point two, point three. But but how do you decide what point one is going to be? Like when you've got this initial idea, what do you do when you sit there and think, okay, what next? Um, well, there's there's a new thing I've been developing, which I think of as Riley Think, which is a totally different way of thinking about things. And so, for example, stealing the fresco, you know, you and I start with the assumption, okay, you can't because you'd have to take the whole freaking wall. Riley doesn't start with that assumption. He starts with, if I was going to steal just the fresco, how would I do it? And then you devise a plan for that. Um, uh, other than that, you know, you you just you work it through. You you think about things in a or try to in a new and creative way to um, arrive at a startling conclusion. I hope. <laughs> When you're writing a thriller, when you're writing genre like this, you've said that you're trying to come up with things in new and creative ways. But there's also things that readers expect. How how much thought do you give to the beats and the uh, the tropes of, of genre? Sometimes I have to remind myself, um, particularly, and you may think that I'm making this up or being ironic, but uh, particularly as regards body count. That's, you know, it's necessary to have a a few people drop dead along the way. And sometimes I forget that. Um, Things like, you know, the humor, the snarkiness of Riley's voice, that's easy. That's natural. But uh, other things like, oh, he should reference that or uh, throw in some, some mention of his mother or something like that. Every now and then I need to remind myself. I'm a rewriter. I never read something after it's published because it would make me totally insane. And I'd I'd be correcting it by hand in the printed book. So once I'm done, uh, it's over. I I truly could not tell you how many books I've published total because I don't think about it. I don't know how many plays I've written. I don't even have copies of some of them because it's over. It's it's yesterday's newspaper to me. But before it's been published, though, the, the 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 first draft that you finish, uh, how clean is it? How close to the final work that you hand in and that we get is that very first draft that you finish? Um, generally speaking, pretty close. I, I mean, you know, they the lawyers have to hassle through it and line editors and things. And uh, I find that I disagree with the line editors quite a high percentage of times. Um, a, a lot of times I'm writing things that grammatically may be incorrect, but that's the way the character talks. So leave me alone. Or I'll write something when I was doing Dexter particular, it would be a Cuban idiom. And the line editor would say, 
oh, this is not correct Spanish. And I mean, no, but it's correct Cuban. Leave me alone. So as far as I'm concerned, unless it's, you know, like trying to get in before a horrible deadline, um, it's pretty much complete. Um, sometimes the editor will say, can we trim some of this scene? And can we add a line or two there? Uh, in um, in Fool Me Twice, there's a thing at the end where Riley is, is uh, waiting in the emergency room of a hospital. And he's bad-mouthing doctors just because he's so nervous. He's so tense. And the editor said, considering what's going on right now, um, can you tone down what he says about doctors? So I sort of went along with that. <laughs> yeah, maybe, 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 maybe wise. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm not your editor. Uh, you mentioned Cuban idioms there, which brings to leads me towards research. When you're talking about frescoes in the Vatican, when you've got Riley Wolf who's traveling all around the world, how much research do you need to do for this and how do you go about doing it? Well, I hate getting something wrong, so I do as much research as I can. Uh, obviously, I'm not traveling anywhere right now. But, it's, well, the Vatican's a great example. You can take a dozen virtual tours of the Vatican and you can see it from all angles and even in three dimensions if you want. So that's easy. And then you read up everything you can. And, you know, piled on with what I already knew, you know, I knew that Raphael was a great artist and, and maybe the best fresco artist. It's a matter of opinion, I suppose. But um, then when I add that on and uh, with the virtual tours and the things like that, uh, that, that becomes enough research. It, it has to be now. I used to say I wouldn't have a character fire a pistol unless I was familiar with it and hopefully had fired it myself down at the shooting range. Um, well, that's out right now, too. So I'm, I'm just using familiar pistols these days. Let me ask you about words and language. This is quite an open-ended one, but I ask it slightly weightedly because, you know, I'm flicking through the very first page of Darkly Dreaming Dexter here. So I know this is not the one that you're here to plug, but, you know, it, it was a very successful work. Um and the very first line of chapter one is moon, glorious moon, full fat reddish moon, the night as light as day, the moonlight flooding down across the land and bringing joy, joy, joy. That's not usual wordage for uh, a thriller like this is. How much thought do you give to the words that are on the page? A lot of thought. You know, I, it's, that was, you know, my, my first course of study in college was uh, writing, literature. And um, I actually did work very hard for a couple of years at writing short, clear, declarative sentences. And Dexter doesn't talk that way or think that way. So he sort of turned purple. Um, but I put a lot of thought into it. I put a lot of thought into voice. That was my big problem starting Riley. What's the voice of these books? Um, and it, it's something I think about a lot. How did you tap into Riley's voice then, especially when you spent so much time as Dexter's? Once I got that he was, you know, cocky and snarky, uh, and um, I settled his biography, his background, uh, it started to come together. And by the time I, I really started writing in earnest, it, it was settled. Mm -hmm. 
And that is it for this week's episode of Writer's Routine. A little shorter than normal because Jeff is a very busy man and I kind of forgot how long I was actually meant to have with him. But anyway, you can get the new Riley Wolf thriller Fool Me Twice using the link in the episode notes wherever you're listening. And it's at writersroutine.com as well. This week, we've been supported by Promptly Written Volume 2, the book of stories written in the Promptly Written podcast by Ian Lewis and Matt Shigerik. Everyone was based on a prompt given by a listener. So because of that, the stories are varied, utterly unique and fantastic. You can get the book on Amazon and it's free with a Kindle Unlimited subscription. Again, use the link in the podcast notes and over on the website if you can. You can get the link to the book and the podcast there. Now, next week, a huge guest... We're chatting to Kate Moss, one of the most successful novelists of the noughties with her Longer Doc trilogy. There was Labyrinth, Sepulchre uh, and Citadel as well. Her new novel is The City of Tears in the Burning Chambers series and she'll be on next week to tell us all about it. It is a brilliant chat, honestly one of the best we've ever done I think. Uh, She was fantastically kind with her time and her insight and her advice uh, and you can hear it next week on Writer's Routine with Kate Moss. I'll see you then. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.